I'm going to take you into this thought for just a moment to begin with, and that is the thought of your knowledge of God. Not just your knowledge about God, but your knowledge of God. And I'm not talking about just the academic knowledge of God. I'm not talking about just simply uh, studying, you know, the scriptures in the context of trying to define God on a piece of paper. I'm talking about knowing God in the means of communion. JoJo used the term uh, relationship earlier. I've used that term in this service already here today. And oddly enough, when you search the King James Version of the Bible, the word relationship does not appear at all. But more or less, it's reflected in this word fellowship. Fellowship in the original language is koinonia, and I preached on it several weeks ago, and it's a, an intimate communion. And it's hard for us to think about the fact that the infinite God, Elohim in the Hebrew being the creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, I believe God's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Nothing's here by happenstance that the earth shows an intelligent design to it. And, and, and so when you think about the expanse of, of creation from not just the earth, not just the universe, the Milky Way, galaxy, all those things, God is greater than the creation, right? The creator is greater than the creation, and what's so awesome for us to contemplate is, is that this, this God that's greater than the creation has chosen to fellowship with his creation. The creator has chosen to reveal at least a part of himself to us to the degree that we can have an intimate both knowledge of and relationship with God. Come on, somebody. Amen. Now, I want you to think for just a moment. Often we have the, the mental image of evil, evil people that are idolaters. Now, oftentimes when you think about it, some of that comes to us from reading the Old Testament. That's often our impression of idolatry because we see how Israel was uh, influenced by the cultures that worshiped idols. Now, the reality is that certainly many people involved in idolatry were evil and were uh, malicious and violent. And, but on the flip side, there were those that were just simply searching for God. They, they, they knew that there had to be a creator, but they had, been, they had believed a lie through the myth of idolatry. I want you to think with me for just a moment of time. When God drove Adam and Eve eastward out of the garden called Eden, Adam is now apart from the communion that he once experienced with God. And his descendants would be in the same place that he was. And that is a knowledge about God, but not a communion or a fellowship with God. And as the generations passed, from Adam's subsequent generations, even the knowledge of God could grow fainter. And from there is where idolatry could begin. Because people could see the handiwork of God in the creation. And through the subtlety of the serpent, through his suggestion of deception, they could be betwixt in their mind to believe that God, the creator of the tree, the tree was actually the creator. Or the rock, or the sun, 
or the moon or the star. But often there was a sincerity in the heart of many of the individuals because they could feel a compulsion in their heart. Like a salmon trying to find the, 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 the stream that it was spawned from and it searches its way back to the place that it began. There's something in the heart of people that want to know God. And I'll tell you what, there's something in the heart of God that wants to know us. Come on, somebody. Amen. And if you study the plan of God, you discover one of the most monumental days in the history of all of mankind was the day that God came down upon Mount Sinai. Because it was at that moment that the God that had contained his glory in the heavens chose to reveal himself even in a tangible way so that people could see that there's just one true God. And from that experience, we know Moses gained the Ten, the ten Commandments. God wrote by his finger on tablets of stone. And this is a powerful moment, and I've meditated upon it many times because that moment is so monumental to our relationship with God. Because let me tell you, our relationship with God Mine and your communion with God is tied to our understanding of the Word of God. Let me just go with you a little bit on that. Our understanding of God is tied to the Word of God because God has chosen to reveal Himself through His Word. And that was the first tangible expression of first the audible voice of God that the people heard on the mountain. And then when Moses came down with the tablets of stone under his arm, the tablets of stone reflected what was spoken audibly on the mountain. And it's a principle that's still in work today. That principle is this. God still speaks beyond the borders of his word. He still speaks prophetically beyond the borders of the word. However, anything that is truly by the spirit is always in harmony with the word. Right? That's why we're told to test the spirits and see. Try the spirits. Because if a spirit speaks something or a prophetical word is given that's not in harmony with the testimony of God that's revealed through the word of God, then we're able to judge that and reject it and keep ourselves out of deception. So on that moment, God was choosing to reveal himself. That started the process where God would make known a measure of who he was to, to the Jewish people, but God was still shadowed behind the veil in the temple, and he was behind the veil certainly first in the tabernacle in the holy place where he said, I will sit upon the mercy seat between the cherubims. But you know what? Man did not have access to continual fellowship with God communion with God we could know a measure of God's grace we could know a measure but just from the shadows but but I want to take you to another passage of scripture and and I want to put you in context of this it says in Hebrews chapter number one it begins this way God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us in times past by the prophets so that's King James English. God, at diverse times and in diverse ways, he spoke unto us by the prophets. 
The prophet's words were captured in the word of God. We have the word of God. So the voice of God was echoed through the voice of the prophet. That's how God spoke to his people. And in speaking to his people, he was making known a measure of his glory, of who he is, of his plan for your life or for their life. But it was still shadowed. The Bible, if you read that passage further, so let's think about that for a moment. God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, so for just a moment of time, what, what, if you want to put this in, a, in an image, the, 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 the person of God was veiled in the first covenant. God was hidden behind the veil in the holy place. And God spoke through prophets to reveal a measure of his character, his purpose, his plan, a measure of his attributes, all those things the prophets spoke of. But they only saw a veiled look at God. So the writer here says God did speak through those prophets. But in the last days, God has spoken unto us through his son. Listen what it says about his son. He's the express image of his person. So, in essence, when Jesus came along, Jesus was the Son of God. Absolutely. That means he was the offspring of God. The Spirit of God hovered over the, the virginal womb of Mary and created life inside of her. Thus, the child that would be born of her would be called the Son of God. Amen. And so, he was called the Son of God. But he said this. He said, me and my Father are one. And so there's a powerful passage of Scripture that where Jesus is walking with Philip, his disciple. And Philip uh, asked a question to Jesus, who is his master rabbi. In that day of the Hebrew culture, there was students, and then there were masters or rabbis. Philip would have been a student to the rabbi Jesus. And he said, Master or teacher, show us the Father. Show us the Father and that will suffice us like the prophets did of old. Tell us something about God. I'm desiring to know God, Philip was in essence saying. I want to know more about God. And so Jesus turned to him and said, Philip, have I, long, have I been with you this long and thou hast not known me? Because he that has seen me has seen the Father. And so, you're here today because you want to know God. You want to be intimate with God. You want to know more about who He is. And you want to know more about His plan for your life. Right? You do. And you say, well, pastor, how can I know God more? Well, then if you want to have an image of God, you've got to have an image of Jesus. Right? You've got to see Jesus. Let's put this a little bit farther. John chapter number 1. In the beginning was the Word. God is synonymous with his word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. God is synonymous with his word. We know that we can count on the word of God today. The, the, the written word of God has captured bits and pieces of the mind and the heart of God for mankind. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of who? Who did we behold? The glory of the word. And the word is God. 
So in that moment, you say, well, pastor, are you talking now about when Moses was with God on Mount Sinai and his power and presence was made known because the word was spoken there? No, I'm not talking about that, though that was a similar experience. But it says further in that passage of scripture, and the word was made flesh, not stone. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. I'm telling you, your life will change when you begin to behold his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said this, and this is the tipping point as I go into the passage that I want you to work with me and just kind of let it evolve here today. The Bible says that the law was given by Moses. The law contained bits and pieces of the plan of God. It contained revelation about God. It shared some things with people, but the glory of God fully was veiled. But the Bible says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Right? So now we have an unveiled face. Come on, we have an unveiled face where we can behold the glory of God. I'm telling you, I want to say this very carefully. You can be deaf and still hear the voice of God. You can be blind and still see the glory of God. Because in your heart, if you can meditate upon the person of Jesus, then as you do so, you are beholding the glory of God. Come on, somebody. Amen. And I'm telling you, change is worked in your life and the greatest possible capacity when you're beholding the glory of God. When you're beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, it's then that he begins to work in you. So I want to think about this moment of knowing God for just a moment. The Bible says, based upon Paul's revelation, to the Colossian church. Now, this is echoed in more than one passage. We quote Ephesians 1 many times here from Jojo to Shane to myself and, and how God used that passage of Scripture to bring us great revelation. But it's echoed again in the first chapter of the book of Colossians where the apostle is speaking to, to, to the people at Colossae about their faith. And he said, when I heard about your faith, I began to pray. I began to pray for you that you would grow in your knowledge of God, in your understanding of his will for your life. Now, how many of you say that's something that you desire so uh, much in your heart that you say, I, I, I just want to know God? Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and meaning the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God that's both academic but also especially is relational, right? I want both. Right, I mean, I want both. I want to know whatever picture that God, and I, I you know, I, I, I use this term, uh, many faceted. Usually I get reproved for my many faceted. <laughs> many sided is the way the King James English, God is many sided. In essence, like an octagon for a moment of time. There's a part of God that you see, and right when you think you got God all figured out, he just kind of turns a little bit, shows you a little bit more of himself. Come on, somebody. And so there's something in your heart that you want to know God. You're here today because you want to know the Lord in a deeper relationship. Is that right? Am I telling the truth here today? 
I mean, you're not just here out of obligation. You're not here just to sing a song. You're not here just to give an offering. You're here because there's something compelling you to say, God, I want to know you more intimately. I want to share with you a mystery today of a principle that when this gets down in your heart, I'm telling you, this lifts your spirit in so many ways based upon the knowledge of God. This is it real quickly. It's, it sounds very simple, but when it's unfolded in front of your eyes in a moment of time, I believe it can be very liberating. It's almost echoed in the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia because he said this. He said, I write to you that know God. That's what he said. But he said, well, or rather are known by God. This is the point I want you to think on for a moment. This is what I want you to know about God today is that as you desire to know God, here's a, a little a revelation. You got to catch it. It seems so simple that you're going to say, Pastor, that is elementary. God knows you. God knows you. That's what I want you to begin to look at with me for just a moment. I want you to see the liberating effect that can happen in your spirit and your mind when you come to the conclusion that God knows you. He knows you. And I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture with me. If you've got your Bible, they're going to put it on the screen. And, and we're not going to make great theological discourse out of this, but we're just going to walk it down as it comes down to us through the pen of the prophet and the sweet psalmist of Israel, David. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It's in Psalm 139. Many of you have, have, have quoted it in times past, but I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. This revelation that I've already given to you, but how liberating it can be in your life when you come to the, to the awesome conclusion that there's nothing hidden about your life to God. The psalmist said these words, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Can y'all hear that today? God, you have searched me and you have known me. Now, it's one thing for me to know God. It's another thing for me to have the revelation that God knows me. God knows everything there is about me. God knows everything there is about you. God is not searching for you today. He's already found you. The psalmist said, God, you know my sitting down and my rising up. I'm going to tell you why this is so liberating. What this is saying is God knows when I'm up. God knows me when I'm on the mountaintop rejoicing. God knows me when I got a smile on my face and I'm the life of the party. God knows me when I'm walking in his glory. God knows me when I'm encouraging others and I'm witnessing to others and I'm living life to the fullest. God knows me. But God knows me when I don't want to get out of bed. 
God knows me when I'm in my darkest depression. God knows me when I wonder if anybody else knows where I'm at in life. When I'm wondering if there's anybody that cares. When I wonder whether or not there's anybody in the world that could dial my phone number and actually find me because they know where I am. In the midst of having a surety that there are people around me that know me, I've got this promise that God knows me when I'm up, but he also knows me when I'm down. Come on, somebody. Amen. And God said, I understand. He says, God, you understand my thoughts afar off. Now, I'm not going to go into that because there's another part of the passage that will add a little bit of great clarity to that in a moment. He said here, you comprehend my path and my lying down. And God, you are acquainted with all my ways. Now, as the pastor of this assembly, I do my very best to know our church family and as, as intimately as I can. And certainly there are some that I'm, I'm, I'm in deeper, relate, not deeper in just fellowship or communion, but life's issues bring us closer together uh, from there. And, and so, but at the same time, I, I want to I, I know some of your tendencies. And if I was being descriptive of some, I could, I could in private, I won't do it in public. But I get in private and say, well, now this is, what, you know, this is kind of who they are. And, you know, and, and I've got a limited measure of whether or not you're an emotional person or whether you struggle with anger or whether you're a happy person or whether you are a very intellectual person or whether you're just glad to get up in the mornings. But God said, I'm acquainted with all your ways. I know your thoughts are far off. God says, I, I know your thoughts that you're thinking right now when the preacher's preaching to you. God says, I, I already know everything. Some of you are planning the afternoon's activities. Some of you are wondering when I'm going to be. Surely he's not going to read all 24 verses of this psalm. Some of you are already thinking that. And see, God says, I already know. Come on, somebody. God says, I already know. Now, look at this. There's not a word on my tongue, but God, you know it all together. So before I even think a thought that I'm going to express in some type of articulate language to communicate what I'm feeling at that moment, there's this awesome God that said, before the reasoning that I gave you when I created you, that gave you the ability to both meditate and to ponder and then eventually communicate and put word that began in your mind and in your heart on your tongue and then it went audible and then a listener heard it before you ever even thought it. God said, I already knew what you were about to say because that that's how intimate I know you. Come on, somebody. That's liberating in our lives when we arrive at the conclusion where we come to this point where we say, God, I cannot attempt to mask anything in relation to you because, God, you see through it like Superman looking through a glass wall. Doesn't take a Superman to look through a glass wall. Look at this. Such knowledge... Such knowledge. Well, let me go, let me back up there. Fifth verse. You've hedged me behind. God's coming behind you. That means God's got enough grace to cover where you've been. Some of you have messed up and stumbled. And if we were to put your testimony on the screen, it would cause us to bow our head in shame. But God said, I got enough mercy and enough grace that I can clean up behind you. I can clean up behind you. 
because I'm a God of grace. But God also said, I can make a way where you're going. I can lead you to a new place in life. I'll come behind you and I'll come before you. And I've laid my hand upon you. And it says this, the psalmist said, I'm just trying to know you, God. And in my pursuit of the knowledge of God, such knowledge, look at this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I'm telling you, I, I want to comprehend everything that I can about God. I do. I want to use my reasoning. I want to use my understanding. I want to use the ability of my heart to meditate. But I've arrived at this conclusion a long time ago that what I know about God is one grain of sand on the seashores all over the world. All of our accumulative knowledge of God could be bound up in one little grain of sand. That's how awesome our God is. I can't attain to that. So I've arrived at the place where I don't have to figure it out all the time because God's going to just cover me because he's a God of all grace. Let's go on down just a little bit. He said, it's so high, I can't attain to this. I love this because there are times in our life when we try to run from God. You may be here today. You say, well, Pastor, I wouldn't be trying to run from God and be in church. There are people running from God in church all over the America today. You can be here and still be absent. You can be here physically. We can touch you, pinch you. We can shake your hand and hug you. And you are a thousand miles away from us and from God. But learn this principle right here. The psalmist said this. Look at this. He said, where can I go from your spirit? The psalmist said, where can I escape from God when I'm trying to get away from God? When I feel like that, that my, my flesh is dominating me and I'm wanting to go somewhere else and I'm, I'm being drawn out into the world or I, I, and, and I don't want to deal with God and I don't want to deal with the communion that I once had with God. I just want to escape from God. The psalmist arose, arrived at a conclusion where he said, where can I go? Look at this. Where can I go from the presence of God? If I ascend up into heaven... If I ascend up into heaven, God, you're there. But if I make my bed in hell and the lowest parts of the earth, you know what? He's there as well. You cannot escape the presence of God. Look at this. If I take the wings of the morning, now look at this. This is almost an escapism. I came up in the 70s uh, as a young boy. This was a commercial. You've heard me say it before. I remember it from the mid-70s. It was a, a, a dish, some type of soap or something. It was Calgon. And part of the commercial was, Calgon, take me away. And I remember that because I see that as an escapism moment when life is overwhelming you. Every one of us had had, have, have moments in our life where we want to just be taken away. And the psalmist said, if I could just be snatched out of here, if I could take the wings of the morning, or if you were to bury me in the darkest place of the sea, the sea at the darkest and the deepest spot is seven miles in depth. And if you were to bury me at the darkest, deepest place of the sea, even there, my God, come on, somebody. Even there, even there, without light, without oxygen, without encouragement, I could not escape the presence of God. God would be there. He said here, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall take hold of me. 
Now, I love this one, and this is going to help somebody here today. Verses 11 and 12 is going to help somebody. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. There are men and women under the sound of my voice that you deal with depression. I'm telling you, you have some difficult days. Some of you get counseling. Some of you are on prescribed medications to deal with the darkness that when you try to explain that to somebody, you lack the words to try to explain how you feel. And you can't comprehend why someone else cannot understand what you're feeling. And it creates oftentimes friction in people that have relationship with you. Because you wonder why they can't sympathize with the depth of your sorrow and your struggle. Am I telling the truth here today? I feel the Holy Spirit right here on this point right here. But I came along to tell you that when you that struggle with depression and oppression... And when you don't get up in the morning and when you close the blinds and you pull the shades and you shut the door and you hide your head under both the comforter and the pillow and you hide yourself in darkness and your spouse can't see you and your children can't see you and your loved ones can't see you and your pastor doesn't know where you're at, I came along to tell you today that there's a God in heaven that loves you and he sees you when you're underneath that darkness. He knows you and he loves you. Come on, somebody. He loves you and he cares for you. Whether you're on the mountain or whether you're in the valley, whether you're in the heavens or whether you're in hell, whether you've been snatched up by the birds of the air or whether you've been buried in the darkest sea, God says, I know you and I love you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The darkness, look at this. The night shines as the day to God. Look at, think about that. Isn't that liberating? The dark is the same as the light to God. We could darken all this room immediately. We could block every passageway and we would grope in darkness. We would stumble over one another to try to find our way to the door. But God just walks in. Come on, somebody. God just walks in the middle of our darkness because the darkness and the night are the same to him. Let me just go one further than that. God loves you whether you're joyous, full of life, full of hope, shouting and rejoicing and dancing at the front, or whether you're in sorrow or depression. It's all the same. It doesn't change his love for you. God loves you the same. The darkness and the night or the darkness and the light, they are the same to you. God said this, and I'm trying to hurry. For you formed my inward parts. God formed you. God gave you your personality. You're always having to apologize for your personality. I know that at times, maybe we do get extreme. I know there are times we allow our emotions and the part of our personality to actually offend others. I understand all that, and we want to have temperance somewhere along the line. But let me tell you this, God made you. God gave you those, that, that personality. God made you uh, with, with those emotions. Just be who you are. Quit trying to be somebody else. Just settle it in your heart and just, you know, I struggled this week. I, str- I told the church family Wednesday night, my mind has been messed up. About the, you know, I told you, and it was just a personal moment about the phone call I got where somebody wanted to buy our house and when it wasn't on the market. And when I, the way I am, I get that on my mind and I can't get it off. 
I mean, I, I can't sit down and prepare a sermon. I can't think about, you know, a Wednesday night lesson. I can't because I, I start thinking about that and what do I do and trying to find and, and all of those things. And then, then I, my heart starts to condemn me because I'm this way. And then I feel shallow. Why can't I move those things out? Why am I letting those distract? And then I read Psalm 139. And the preacher got a quick word from God. Where God said, I know you, Lee. I know your ups, your downs, your highs and lows. I know this is going to be on your mind. And when you can't prepare a sermon, when you can't have the thoughts that will bring together an academic sermon that would pass even the, uh, the greatest of Bible colleges, when your mind can't put that together, I'll just drop a little nugget down in your spirit. Then I'll give it to you out of Psalm 139 and you'll show up at church without a note and you'll have a better message than if you'd have prepared it at that desk. Come on somebody because God knows me. He knows my ups and my downs and he knows yours as well. How Mark, look at this. I will praise you. We ought to praise God today. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. He didn't make a mistake. Look at this, lastly, and that my soul, and my soul knows it right well. When you just begin to realize that God made you and formed you, and you are who you are because he chose for you to be. He said, your frame was not hidden from you. I'll have to expedite things. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Time's going to avoid or prevent me, excuse me, from elaborating on every verse, but I want to read them. Is that all right? Before we dismiss, let's read this. Look, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. What's that mean? That means God's got a plan for your life. Before you ever came out of your mother's womb, God had already chosen a path for you. Now, we often get off of that path, but God is gracious, right? And even when we're off of that path, we're not beyond the scope of God to bring us right back on because he's found us. He knows where we are. Let me go one farther than the prodigal son for just a moment. Can I do that real quickly? You know the story of the prodigal, the parable that Jesus taught? It's a powerful parable, but I'll just add an addendum to it. You know the story of the prodigal was is that while he was away in the far country, the father didn't know where he was at. He didn't know where he was. And that day that he looked up and saw the silhouette of a lone individual walking across the horizon, something quickened in his heart, and he thought, that could be my boy coming back. Now, that's a powerful thing. But I want to go one farther than that. Your God, your Father, the Father, he saw you when you were in the far country. He knew where you were at. He knew when you were shooting stuff in your veins and sniffing stuff in your nose and drinking stuff till you became a fool. Come on, somebody. He knew you. He was watching over you all the time, just waiting for you to lift an eye towards him and say, God, show me who you are. And he began to bring you right back on that path. Come on. He is that kind of God. You say, Pastor, that's, I can't comprehend such knowledge is too great for me. When you get to that place where you say, I can't comprehend this about God, then you've arrived at the place where David was when he penned this psalm. He said, the days were fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Now look at this, the 17th and the 18th verse. It says, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. 
How great is the sum of them. Now, I studied this out because I wanted to, arrive, I wanted to see what direct. This is a little bit perplexing. Now, I've always looked at it one way, but I thought about it another way, and I'm not for sure exactly which way this conversation is going. I don't know whether this is the psalmist that, in essence, is talking about his own thoughts about God being great as the sum of them, almost innumerable, innumerable in the sum of them, more in number than the sand. I, that's powerful in one in one. Uh, uh, you know, and uh, in, in, in one truth alone, the fact that you can meditate about God and your thoughts can always be upon God, that's a good thing. But I think it's written from the other perspective. And I think it's more like this. If you could number God's thoughts towards you, <clears throat> can y'all catch that today? Why this is so liberating in your life? There's not a day that goes by that I don't think about my six children. Let me see the hand of every parent here that says that it's not a day that goes by that I don't think about my kids. Come on. Matter of fact, many times, the, the, the whole day, they've ne they're never gone from you. The psalmist said, God's always got you on his mind. Amen. I want you to think about that. How, how life-changing is that to know that the God of the universe always has you on his mind. And if you could number his thoughts towards you, they would exceed the number of the sand on the seashore. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, verses 19 through 22, the psalmist here, the psalmist here shows of his hatred for people that hate God. Now, this is the difference, and I, as I close right now, for, for the lack of time to develop this theologically, but this shows you the difference between the two covenants. This shows you the law was given by Moses. And so David had a love for God through the revelation that he knew about God through the law. And if somebody didn't love God the way that, they thought, that he thought they should love God, he had a hatred for them. But see, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, it's been said of old that you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, come on somebody, but the dispensation of the covenant of grace in which you live in today, God says, I'm telling you to love your enemy, Amen. to pray for those who despitefully use you, come on, and then you'll be the children of my father. And that's just another thought altogether because David expressed his frustration and you and I get to supersede it because of our revelation of Jesus Christ. We don't have to hate those that hate God. We can love them, then pray that they come to the revelation that God knows where every atheist is. God knows where every agnostic is. God knows where every Muslim jihadist is. And God loved them enough that he sent his son to die on a cross so that the virtue of his blood would be able to take away their sin. And so church family, today I want you to arrive at a conclusion like David as you stand up with me this morning. David arrives at this conclusion. And he says this, and when you have this measure of revelation in your heart you can say it with a clear conscience search me oh god can you say that today look at the verse verse of this passage and put it into comparison with the 23rd verse verse 1 he said god you have searched me and you have known me that was from god's perspective david is acknowledging that god has searched him but now when he's reflected upon god 
He's arrived at the conclusion when he doesn't try to run from that searching, but rather he embraces it. He embraces it and he says, search me, O God, and know me. Look at that. And know my heart. We're always wanting to know the heart of God. Here, the psalmist says, God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And if there is, we pray for God to purge that of our lives. Does that make sense? And that God would then lead us in the path that he has for us. And so today I started as I come to this conclusion. I started by bringing you this simple truth. And that is that God has revealed himself to us through his word. When you want to know about God, you search his word. Right? right? And then you can grow in the knowledge of God. And in your growing in your knowledge of God, one of the greatest truths, I believe, to give you a liberty that maybe you haven't previously possessed is when you come to the true revelation that God knows you. He knows everything about you, your ups, your downs, your highs, your lows, your strengths, your weaknesses. He knows everything, and he still has chosen to love you. And plans for your life are in his heart and his mind. And he will reveal them to you as you draw close to him. Does that make sense here today? Can our heads be bowed and our eyes closed for just a few moments here today? I don't know what time sure I've taken. We will extra time.